One of the things I tell my history students in every class is that everybody has a perspective and everyone will tell stories from that perspective. On this eighth anniversary of my father's passing, this is my perspective on him and how he impacted me. And to start this episode, here's a song I wrote about my dad. Stare up at the stars while I stumble in the night And I stayed awake for hours Enough to bring the dawn And I don't know how long it took to close the vault But I stayed awake for hours Enough to bring the dawn Now is not the time Someone needs to hold you Now is not the time to be alone This day, July 12th, 2014, at 7.30 a.m., my father, Joe Capozzi, passed away from a pretty quick battle that he had with pancreatic cancer. Uh, my father was a large man in his life, a commanding presence, and uh, often referred to 
as someone that was larger than life. Um, so when this man that was six foot three, typically around 250 pounds, ended up under 100 pounds uh, at the end of his life, it was a lot to take in. And to this day, eight years later, it is still a lot to take in to think about what he went through and all of the ways that he's still so missed in my life and in my family's life. Um, So what I wanted to do with this time is to share some of his story and some of how his story uh, collides and influences my story. Little Joey, as his parents called him, was a Roman Catholic kid who grew up in the housing projects in Harlem and the Bronx. Um, His father was a traumatized World War II vet who fought on D-Day and came back and worked on a trash truck. And his mother uh, kept the house in order and uh, did what women did during World War II. And uh, my father grew up in this home where he experienced a dad that was very unpredictable, often volatile, and a mother that he experienced as overly protective uh, and said that she wouldn't even let him play baseball for fear that he would get hurt as a kid. So born to an unpredictable father and an overprotective mother, which I would say is a pretty good recipe for anxiety, (laughs) Uh, something that my dad would live with, although really never talk about or maybe even think about um, his whole life, how that was impacting him. So naturally, when my dad had kids of his own, he wanted to do the opposite of what he experienced, which I think anyone that has kids (laughs) or really grows up at all uh, can resonate with. Uh, Dad wanted to make sure that not only were we able to play sports, but that they'd be a part of our lives from like the time we could walk. So basketball and baseball have been a part of my life longer than most things. And uh, growing up in the projects, being the first in his family to go to college, he also wanted to spoil us, even when at the beginning he didn't really have the money to spend, Uh, something he would... uh, be criticized a lot for, really. Uh, And as a result of growing up in an unpredictable, often volatile house, my dad avoided conflict like it was the plague in our family. Um, And my mother wanted to address things, but often in a way that would just piss my dad right off. Um, So with these high levels of unexamined anxiety that he had going inside and his avoidance of maybe some things that he could have dealt with if he you know, really wanted to tackle some conflict, he would just explode on her, uh, leaving my mother crying and us boys on the edge or just like a generally tense house. But the truth was my dad wanted a peaceful house. He just didn't know how to make that happen. You know, he'd do the 1980s dad thing. He would work nine to five, drive home, get home from work, sit down and eat a meal that was already made for him. And then he'd want to just sit on the couch, watch TV, and then go to bed. And understandably, my mom would want more than that. Uh, But for whatever reason, my father 
didn't give her that, which was often the source of conflict throughout their marriage. You know, my dad really did want the opposite of what he grew up with. I'm sure of that. But by not addressing those internal struggles and trying to avoid uncomfortable conflicts, he helped create an unpredictable environment for my brothers and me. But still, my dad was my idol. Even though I knew all of that stuff, I experienced it. I had a little healthy fear of him. I looked forward to him walking into the house after a long day of work every day. The smell of his polo still strong from the morning. You know, every baseball or basketball game, I was looking for him in the stands. He, he just, I, I wanted to be around him all the time. And I really looked forward the most to weekends where I would either do my paper route with him. We would go to Bickford's afterwards. We just, Saturdays is where he just found the time, actually made the time to make sure that he was there for his boys. My dad absolutely loved being a father of four boys, and it was everything to him. And one of the most vivid examples I have of that is when I was in high school, my father worked for this company called State Street, and he was kind of a bigwig. He worked in marketing. He would travel all over the world. And he had this secretary, and he told her that any time one of his sons calls, no matter what the scenario, if he's in a meeting, no matter how important it is, he wants to be told so he can come talk to us. I mean, like I said, uh, we were everything to him. And being a father was his greatest joy. I'm certain of that. Um, so starting in our 20s, my brothers and I uh, started to go to these men's conferences with our dad. These conferences were run by a group called the New Canaan Society. And uh, yeah, it is as creepy as it sounds. Hundreds of the wealthiest white American Christians at one conference which contained people like Eric Metaxas, who's this Fox News pundit, um, uh, Tim Keller, who's a pretty conservative Christian author, just really big names within the Christian world. They were at these conferences and they were draws for guys that like to drive Lamborghinis and Mercedes all the while saying how much they love Jesus. And honestly, it was something that we really loved uh, at first, my brothers and I and my dad, it was such a fun bonding experience for us to just go away and to be together and smoke cigars and just hang out and talk and just figure out what it meant to be an adult in relationship with our father. And I know that those conferences meant the world to my dad and they meant more just sort of being with us than anything that the people were saying. Um, and it was around that same time that I started to go to seminary and working with people um, who were experiencing homelessness. And when I started in seminary, I remember my dad being so proud and excited. He actually gave me this book that is probably the most impactful book that I ever read in my Christian life, which was The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And anybody that knows me has had to deal with me quoting from that book. My still to this day most favorite quote, which is, 
we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Still to this day, my favorite quote from a book my father gave me when I was going to a pretty conservative seminary in Boston that was actually founded by Billy Graham. Uh, My father could not have known that what I came out believing turned out to be quite the opposite of what my father believed. And while that ended up being really the source of some unspoken tension, not surprisingly from my conflict-averse father, uh, my dad only really ever addressed it once in my life. But me, I wanted all the smoke. I started to challenge people that he liked to listen to. Ideas that I felt were against the way of Jesus. I started, we would go to those men's conferences that I talked about, and I just wasn't having it anymore. (laughs) And I wasn't, I mean, I just, I wasn't having as much fun, to be honest, because I was having a hard time being around these super wealthy men that I knew were controlling organizations and companies like Goldman Sachs and other major corporations, all the while claiming to be followers of Jesus. And I was having my own issues around that, which I have to say my dad was willing at least to sit with and hear me out, even if he didn't agree, which is something I really appreciate because I know my father really tried to take his faith seriously. Uh, All the while, feeling like he was constantly failing. And I think that he might have experienced my shift towards what he called the social gospel um, to be a failure on his part of not discipling me the right way. Um, And even, even though he had that going on, I think he also took seriously some of the critiques that I had. Um, But thinking about my father's desire to be a faithful Christian, so much of it was based on this shame-based approach to faith where he just always wanted to get better, but he couldn't figure out how to do it. He was constantly in this inner turmoil of sin management that he couldn't seem to figure out. And his wheels would keep on spinning over and over, talking about how, oh man, I don't do the things I want to do, and the things I do, I don't want to do those things. This is something that a lot of Christians might recognize as something the Apostle Paul would talk about. My father had the same thing going on. And at this point, at this stage of my life, I think it might have something to do with the fact that when we're coming at ourselves— from this negative um, self-hatred kind of perspective where we can't do anything right, we're really kind of setting ourselves up to spin our wheels and to never get through some of the things that we can point out that we, they, that we do want to change. One of the things I've learned since leaving Christianity is that I love myself, and the more that I love myself and lean into connection with who I am and and find joy in who I am just as I am now, I actually find that I'm able to evolve and grow in ways I never really was as a Christian, 
even though I was striving so hard as a Christian to be this just epic human being, which again, my father was striving for as well. And I mean, he preached it. My, my dad absolutely loved preaching. And generally, people loved hearing him preach. He just kind of had a knack for it. He had the public speaking thing going on. And because he had that larger-than-life presence and his voice was pretty commanding, <laughs> uh, people paid attention. And for the most part, people believed what he was saying because he said it pretty damn convincingly. Um, he obviously had those that were not fans too. Uh, not everybody likes to be preached at the way that my father would preach. Um, but he most mostly was really well-loved and people looked forward to hearing him preach. And he loved that. He loved that feedback and he really wanted to do that with his life. So much so that he quit working in finance and he, and he tried to make that work. Uh, and really was never able to to make that happen. Um, but I, I spent years watching my dad and other men that he was friends with preach uh, my whole life. And never, not once, sitting in church did I ever think, I'm going to do that someday. I really want to do that. Because honestly, I think it would have the opposite impact on me. I mean, we would go to church, hear my dad preach this like killer sermon. I mean, whether you agreed with it or not, it was like rousing. Uh, and then afterwards, we'd go to Bertucci's for lunch because this was my family's kind of thing that we did. Uh, and he, he'd berate the server. He'd be upset that the bread didn't come out, the salad. I mean, it was just very strange for me. And I experienced this also from other pastors where I'd hear them give a sermon, and then because my father was friends with him, or it was him uh, preaching himself, that as soon as church was over, they turned into very different people. They just let down, and the way that they related to others, the way that they sort of carried themselves, was so unattractive to me that I just kind of had this picture in my mind that to be a preacher was kind of synonymous with hypocrisy or just like this person can give their best for about a half hour and then, you know, just kind of let it all go and who cares. And so even though I was in seminary and people assumed that I was going there because that's what I wanted to do, I avoided any suggestion that I might do that someday. In fact, I remember one Bible study where the leader of the Bible study was older and was a friend of my father's as well. And he said one time, oh, you're just like your father. And I remember instantly saying, please don't ever say that again. I don't want to be compared to him. And somehow uh, I found myself in May of 2014 on the path to doing the very thing I said I never wanted to do. The day before my father died, I told him that I was going to be a pastor. Now, I hadn't been offered the job yet, but the, the interview went pretty well, and I was pretty convinced. Um, so I wanted to tell him, uh, and I thought he'd be proud. I 
wanted him to go into death proud of me and happy um, that his son, that he'd been worried about for a while, that he didn't know which path I was going down, um, you know, was going to be a pastor, this, this thing that he wanted so much. Um, and he wasn't able to respond at that point. And I, I did get a smile. I have no idea what was going on in his mind at the time, but it really was about me anyway, really. Um, and something that I've come to understand about my dad and about being a dad is that you don't need your kid to do something special or for them to do what you'd want them to do uh, in order to be proud of them. My dad was proud of me. In fact, it was one of his last words to me that he was so proud of me. And uh, I thought that maybe this would make him more proud somehow. I, I don't know. But really, it's just enough to survive this life and for my kids to love themselves and the people around them well. I don't need them to be anything more than who they are in order to be proud of them. And that's how my dad felt about me. As a father of three, that's what I want to give my kids. I want them to be free free to be themselves, and to figure out how to navigate this complex, beautiful, painful, confusing life. Every Friday for the last two years of my dad's life, we met for breakfast at a restaurant called Nico's in Weymouth, Massachusetts. And it was the greatest gift I think, to both of us. Uh, and sometimes I'd get to bring my daughter, Annabelle. Um, and when I did, I wouldn't tell my dad ahead of time because the the look on his face and the his voice when he would say her name was just the most amazing thing. I can still hear it. And yeah, getting to know my father at that stage of both of our lives is something that I will cherish for as long as I live. Uh, and still, uh, one of my greatest sadnesses in life, actually, is that I missed the last one, uh, the last time we would have met for breakfast because I canceled on him um, to hang out with some other people. And uh, I still have a hard time to this day dealing with that one. One of the things that my dad started to share with me um, in those two years where we got to relate to one another as adults, which was just the greatest uh, experience shifting, you know, from father and son to um, just two adults trying to figure out this life. Uh, my dad shared with me how he felt like a failure. Um, he experienced major financial troubles were at the height of his career. He was doing financially incredibly well, um, but inwardly felt like he was dying and needed to do something more meaningful. So he left. Um, but at the end of his life, he was working in a call center um, for student loans, trying to call people who were missing their payments. And he felt so low about that. Uh, he was in constant conflict in his marriage uh, 
and even at the end, he had some pretty major uncertainty about eternity, uh, something that he spoke so confidently and boldly about in his life. He was experiencing a lot of doubt. Um, and that was tough for him, really tough. And I'm grateful that he shared that with me. Um, and it was so hard to hear at the same time. But I, I, I know my dad struggles. And I know where he lacked, you know, the ability to get his needs met in a way that wouldn't hurt my mother or us boys. And still, knowing all of that, Hearing him tell me that he was proud of me and that his eyes lit up every time he heard my name. It was really all that I ever wanted to hear. As we laid down together next to each other on his deathbed, after hearing those words that he whispered to me, because that's all he had left for strength, I just sat in silence and I I cried and so did he. And I said, I don't want to say goodbye. And he said, so let's not. I'll see you later. 